Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everyone. I'm Katrina Schwartz. And this week on Bay Curious, we're going back to the early 2000s to get hyphy. Hyphy is, was... A youth-led movement uh, full of energy, uh, hyperactive young people uh, coming together to celebrate life. And it was shown through music, through dance, through clothing. And it was and is, and I keep saying is, because I think it's something that is a spirit that exists in the Bay Area. And in the early 2000s, it was just on a major platform and kind of shown to the world. Pendarvis Harsha is the host of KQED's Right Now-ish podcast. He's going to help us answer this question we got from listener Lauren Tanke. I'm curious to know how hyphy culture and music got really big in the Bay Area. How could it not? It was entertainment. It was colorful. It was live. It was just a whole bunch of characters, great stories. Penn, I remember you telling me one time that when you were growing up in the Bay Area, hyphy was big. Oh, yeah, the scrapers getting sideways, airbrush T-shirts, big stunning shades, all of that. That was my teenage experience. I remember being in Emeryville at the record release party for E-40's My Ghetto Report card, which was arguably the height of the hyphy movement. I was probably around 17 at the time. But I'm starting to feel old because the kids born during that era are in college now. But to this new generation of young adults, what was old is new again. And I'm hearing musicians sample elements of songs that I grew up gigging to and rappers talking about bringing hyphy back. Today on Bay Curious, we're bringing you an episode from Penn's podcast Right Now-ish, all about the hyphy movement. He'll take you through the hip-hop legacy of Northern California and the etymology of the term hyphy. Stick around so you don't miss a beat. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love 
while also getting access to cool events, behind the scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. We're digging into the roots of the hyphy movement today. Penn, take it away. I think it's time for a Bay Area history lesson on hyphy music. And who better to talk to than the cool collar scholar himself, the honor roll producer who has worked with Jay Stalin, Kamaya, Mr. Fab, and more. His name is Trackademics, and he knows a thing or two about hip-hop history in this region. What's the first hyphy song you ever heard? I'd have to say that E-40's album, it had gasoline with turf top. That's when I first started hearing like, oh, this is an actual crazy sound, like the hyphy sound. And Turf Talk's voice next to E-40's voice. Just kind of created this crazy tone where it's just like unruly. It was it was in your face. The beats by Rick Rock. Hold up. Shout out Rick Rock. The Northern California producer behind the classic old school songs, contemporary hits, and a ton of songs from major hip hop artists like Tupac, Jay Z, and even this song from Busta Rhymes and Mariah Carey. As long as you are, you know I got it. Rick Rock was one of the producers who laid the cornerstone to the hyphy sound. He produced songs like Hyphy and Go Dumb by the Federation, as well as E40's Yeah Area. Like that? He was making crazy beats. He was making like more up-tempo songs with wacky, wacky sounds, crazy percussion. This is something different. It's hyphy. I mean, we didn't have the terminology yet, but it slapped. Hyphy. The word was said on record by East Oakland's Kick the Sneak in the mid-90s. Hyphy. And gained popularity in the early 2000s. But in the early days, when Keek started using it, hyphy didn't mean what it means now. He's the one who created the hyphy terminology. Because in Oakland, hyphy was not didn't mean fun. Hyphy meant they hyphy over there. Like, I'm not I'm trying away. to go over there. Yeah, I'm, they might rob you. They might. You never know what's going on. Right. No, that's a hyphy dog. I'm staying away from it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but as language does, the term evolved to mean hyperactive in a good way. Full of exuberant energy, you know, like the life of the party. It's pure energy. It's it's not a, it's not even a, a clap sound or a ghost riding whips and all that. It's it's pure energy. If you think about what was going on around the rest of the country, like the only thing really comparable energy wise in the party was Atlanta. At that time, they were into the crunk. It was crunk was popping. We have our own version of of like high speed, energetic crunk you know energy it didn't didn't sound the same necessarily but just it was a comparable energy it all sounded like clear liquor in the you know like <laughs> vodka cranberries and vodka red bulls in the club <laughs> oh i can taste it oh it's so bad hyphy juice a lot of sugar high fructose and alcohol <laughs> <laughs> The hyphy sound in the mid-2000s didn't come out of nowhere. It was a combination of the energy of the people and the evolution of music styles happening locally. 
To start us off, back in the day, there was funk music. The heavy bass and synthesizers shifted into a darker tone, becoming mob music. Mob shit, bitch. That sound got juiced up and grew into what we know as hyphy. Same bass, more tempo, not as dark, and a lot more fun. The generations of Bay Area rap are so thick. So like in the 80s, if like you had prehistoric mob music, I call it prehistoric, you know, Cro-Magnon mob music where a lot of that was influenced from like you know east coast rap like houdini but specifically here it's just the bass lines and the ominous sounds the moog synths and and the different yeah the different synthesizers that they were using back then and so that's the first iteration like that mob that 80s you know too short too short sound <laughs> But also very like influenced by the funk, funk music, Ohio funk. Everyone knows short sampled Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown, but it's the deep cuts that show just how foundational the funk was. Tracks like The Conscious Daughter's Something to Ride To, Funky Expedition. That song is built off a sample of the SOS band's No One's Going to Love It. As it went through the to the late 90s, mob music started reinterpolating a lot of things. Bay Area living is only known to flex. You'll be Had a lot of musicians like Ant Banks, Kyrie, producing very like lavish, I guess, productions. The mob era came with different flavors from all across Northern California. Similarly, the hyphy movement had different flavors from different towns too. There was them hood stars from East Palo Alto, Jay Stylin and Livewire Records out of West Oakland, and the Federation out of Fairfield, to name a few. And many artists had careers that spanned both mob music and the hyphy movement, like Too Short, E-40, and this one guy whose birth name is Andre Hicks. But you might know him as the Frilly Ghost, Ronald Dragan, Fizzle Washington, Andre Mackesy, the Cold Crest Creeper, or simply. They call me Mac Dre and I'm keeping a name. Sport Nike shoes. I got a mic to use to talk bad about. The thing that he brought was the energy of Hyphy, the caricature, the character of Hyphy. He kind of set the ground rules or the groundwork of like the fun aspect of it. And and then as the music started to catch up with Rick Rock and E-40 bringing that actual sonic sound of Hyphy, that connected with the characters that Mac Dre gave Fab in the 2000s. Mac Dre forever, man. I don't know what they heard. The baton from Mac Dre was kind of passed to like Mr. Fab in that regard and everybody else. So I could touch myself. The game's so sharp, I might cut myself. Is there something about the region that breeds this sound? All of the, the different influences have created this thing because we weren't the first ones to start rapping or the first ones to do funk music. When you're not the first, you're kind of informed and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to put this twist on it. It's funny that you said, of all people, that like when you're not the first, you create a twist. You remix it, essentially, which... I mean, is what hip hop is about. Like you take it, you do a sample, you scratch it your own way, you know, you flip it and you put your own flavor in it. But also that's literally like how you made your mark in the game. Bring me to 
one of your more notable productions, the remix of Tell Me When To Go. How did that come about? That was early 2006. And I remember the energy was crazy in the Bay Area. It was like a pressure cooker and things were like speeding up. The day that the Tell Me When To Go vinyl dropped, I specifically went in with the intent, like, I'm gonna remix this because there's a lot of friends I know, like who are not from my area, you know, not from the Bay Area, who don't understand the Bay Area culture. They heard the song Tell Me When To Go and they're like, it's just drums, there's no music, or there's like no samples, or there's no like, it's not, that's not creative. And I'm like, y'all are tripping. It's a culture that you don't understand. And so I was like, well, I'm going to remix this and, and with the intent that y'all going to get this Bay Area music. Y'all are going to <laughs> respect us. <laughs> In my studio, I, I used to produce on on these car speakers, on these old like tens, these 10 ten, ten inch subwoofers. And I placed the acapella on top of the beat. My face melted. You know, like there's only a few times where you like automatically know you have a hit. At the time, I was working at youth radio in the training department. I went and brought my remix and gave it out to the students at youth radio. At the time, things didn't go viral. They just went on your MySpace player. And so I, I had put the song on my MySpace. Everyone started adding it to their MySpaces. And then, you know, next I heard people were playing it in their high school gym, like rallies and students would bring me video back showing me you know like look it's going crazy and like that next like maybe three months was just insane wildfire hey it's that song where like the whole club would go stupid and this is like club i'm saying club like let me get it right candy shop function you know what i'm saying like that's what that's where i was i was 18 19 18 um, dummy going 18 dummy right I knew that as long as I kept the the knock in it, the pound, you know, the bottom, it would it would stand up sonically in in the function. Is there a major philosophy to remixing things? I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. I'm from Alameda. It's right next to Oakland. I call it the island off the coast of the town. Me, I'm half black and Filipino. That's a re that's a uniquely Bay Area remix. I mean, there's we're everywhere, but like the Bay has a very big uh, community of of folks like us. So I feel like for me, that's kind of like the backdrop. Like I've always been in between a lot of things. You know, growing up in Alameda, wasn't a lot of black folks, and even Filipinos where I lived. And so it was like I got to get in where I fit in, and I felt like remixing was the same way i like so many types of music growing up and i kind of wanted to put them all together anita baker like the old school stuff i like and sade when it came to remixing it was also like trying to create something different than the original but just as good not trying to necessarily do something better or like that beat was whack it's more of like Okay, well, this is where the original sits. Let me try to do something adjacent to that that people might not have been thinking about. Gotcha. Okay. That's the philosophy that went behind the work. And well, Who are some of the early artists that you work with? I used to give out CDs a lot. And the first person that took me seriously was Mr. Fab. Fab called me the next day on his way to Summer Jam. And he was like, hey, bro, this CD slap. These beats... 
you know, he's like, they're different, man. He's like, but he kept saying, he's like, we got to connect. We got to connect. He was working on what will become Son of a Pimp. And I ended up producing six tracks on there. I did Chris V's first mixtape. I did six tracks on there, on the masterpiece. Classic mixtape. Like, that's a hood classic. Having someone as talented as Chris V and Fab and all them, like, rap on your beats, it wakes it up all the way where you're like, oh, I, I think I can actually do this, you know? What's going on right now in terms of Bay Area sound? It's all like a post-mob and hyphy sound kind of mixed together. So you have a lot of like the 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 slap and kind of the general rhythmic disposition that's similar. We're back to like the ominous chords and like the pianos. It's undeniable that the sonic backdrop of it all is a direct descendant of the older Bay Area music. Even someone like Rex Life Raj, where it's like it's almost like soulful mob or soulful hyphy. It it amazes me how much it stays ingrained in our music and and i believe that it's gonna stay because it actually has influenced the whole the whole landscape of music big time appreciation alameda's own trackademics the cool collar scholar came through and blessed us with a history lesson that ken burns would tip his hat to oh and i should be clear trackademics isn't stuck in the past he's still active most namely to come out soon is my, my homie LDs, who's from Oakland. We're just bringing back the old school Oakland sound. Just like hyphy, mobbed out slaps. To all of you listening out there, be sure to follow Trackademics on social media for updates on his work. You can find him under Trackademics, that's spelled T-R-A-C-K-A-D-E-M-I-C-K-S. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. That was Pandarvis Harsha, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Marisol Medina Cadena produces the show. Editors on this episode were Jessica Placek and Vanessa Rancano. Sound engineering by Seal Muller and Brendan Willard. If you liked what you heard, take a moment now to pick up your phone. No, really pick it up. Open your podcasting app. Search for Right Nowish and hit the subscribe button. Every week, Penn talks with local movers and shakers about how the Bay Area shapes what they create and how they shape the place we call home. It's an excellent listen. Subscribe today. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. I'm Katrina Schwartz. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! 
Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.